It's that stack of books, the Veterans Day edition, which means the Bryant Corner Cafe is full of people on this Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, full of kids, and full of people reading books, maybe thinking about veterans. Nancy, we've done some Veterans Day stories, but I would say that because you brought a stack of Robert Heinlein books, there's probably some veterans in here too. Oh, totally. Um, Starship, well, Starship Troopers is active service, and, uh, and Glory Road is also active service. After our talk last week, Steve, when we were here last week, I went and um, I went and started rereading Robert Heinlein's books. Uh, and what I found was, and I had I knew this but had forgotten it, Starman Jones, which is the book you mentioned about the astrogator, however you pronounce it, the book starts with a spirited or no space cadet starts with. What, one of them, whatever, I read so many of them. Red Planet starts with a spirited defense of the right of everybody to bear arms. And I thought, I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to read at that moment. So. Well, you brought in a whole stack of your Heinlein books, and they're very colorful, most of them paperback. Uh -huh. uh, did you find a lot of pleasure in reading Heinlein over again? Because you were talking about the funk. Yeah, I still, I'm still in a funk, um, so that's not fun. But it's, um, but it was fun to to reread a lot of them. Now I know them so well that you're just like discovering, rediscovering familiar sections that you had. But Tunnel in the Sky, my, uh, my high school boyfriend lent that book to me, and I still have it. That hardback copy. Yep, Tunnel in the Sky. What's that one about? Oh my gosh, it's about some graduates, kids who are graduating from like a space, from high school and for their final exam, they're sent to another planet with only, they can only take one weapon with them. They don't know where they're going. They have to survive. It's like a survival class. They have to survive for like two weeks um, without knowing anything about where they are. Very, very exciting. But the Star Beast is another wonderful one. That's somewhere too. What's that about? That's down at the bottom. That's an, is that a later one? That's Delray. I see. Oh, these are these are all reprints, oh. actually. Um, but but the Star Beast is about um, a, a man who's in space and takes home a little alien who grows into the Star Beast, <laughs> and it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And what about Farmer in the Sky? Because, you know, that is not what I would have thought about for a science fiction book. Well, that's a very early one of Heinlein, so it isn't his best. And, and only um, a more or less completist like me would even, would even want. It's not great. But it's about families um, f emigrating from Earth to one of the, uh, uh, Venus, I think. Ganymede. Ganymede, one of the moons of Jupiter, and um, to start a civilization there. I guess anybody who's thinking about going to see Interstellar would find uh, Heinlein's books a good uh, a good background or a good follow-up. Yep, totally. Or if you um, have ever heard Chris Hadfield speak, the the Canadian astronaut. I mean, I always have I always wanted to ask him whether he was a science fiction reader as a kid. And, and he, was. Oh, he was. He was a science fiction reader and a Star Trek 
fan. Really? Yeah. yeah. Joanna Gerber. What age group? Adults and teens? The majority of these are for teens. Um, the, the, the only ones, oh, oh my gosh, but adults who are willing to sort of pretend they're teenagers would love them too. But the majority of them are for teens. But there's a wonderful one. There's a, an, there's a wonderful one called The Door Into Summer. And, and The Door Into Summer is about time travel. And there's this guy is trying to figure out how to go back in time to right some wrongs in his personal life. Nothing big, but in his personal life. And he goes to talk to somebody who had presumably invented a time machine. And the guy doesn't want to do any more experiments because he said he sent back a man named Leonard Vincent and he could never bring him forward again. And so that's a, such a, a wonderful sort of notion about how Leonardo da Vinci was so far ahead of his time because he was really from the 20th century and sent back to, to then. So The Door into Summer is one of my favorites. I'm Jennifer and I have a middle school boy and what works really well for him if, if I can give him an author and like there's a whole series because it's really hard to like find sporadic books that he likes. So he's in and out on, on science fiction so which would be like the top three that I should give him to really kind of hook him into this author? Oh, good question. And I'm assuming he's read like James Dashner and all of those. Okay. He, he okay. So I would do um, I would do Red Planet and Space Cadet and um, and Have Spacesuit Will Travel and Have Spacesuit Will Travel is one of those books that have influenced major science fiction writers. I mean that was the book like I think William Gibson or Neil Stevenson lists that as. Why is that? What's in there that is uh, unique? wins a spaceship, uh, wins a space suit in a contest and says, well, he wants to go to the moon or Mars. And his father said, well, go ahead and do it. And then, you know, he figures out how. Have space suit, will travel. Okay, I have one more question. Okay, I'm Jennifer again. Say that again. I have one more question. Um, so... The one, he's not always into science fiction, but like he liked Ray Bradbury because he likes kind of the, the, the characters themselves and the relationships, not just the science part of it. So would you say that this author is a good one to mix both the interesting characters and scenarios along with the actual science part? Okay. Ray Bradbury is a much better writer. Heinlein is workmanlike, <laughs> but the characters and their relationships are a really big thing. And, and there is a lot in these books about honor, you know, doing the right thing. And I always appreciated that as a child. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So there are a whole bunch of people around the table today with their own that stacks. Uh, and I'm just going to go real quick around and ask you to tell me what you're reading. Keith Cook, you're back. What are you reading? Uh, Uncaged, John Sanford. It's a crime novel. It's actually co-written something outside of his Lucas Davenport series. Jennifer Collins Friedrichs is here. What are you reading? Well, I love historical mysteries, and I'm having a hard time finding some new titles, so I was going to ask your opinion. In the meantime, I'm dipping back to my Maisie Dobbs series. <laughs> love Maisie Dobbs. Oh, we're coming back to that. Uh, we, had, we had a whole historical fiction last week, but we'll go back. 
So, Joanna Gerber, what are you reading? I'm reading uh, The Boys in the Boat. And I was talking about it. I'm really loving it. And I said that I was from Philadelphia, so I can see the boats going up and down the Schuylkill River, and it makes me feel good. Sarah Hunter. I'm kind of in between books right now, so I'm reading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. But I'm also, I picked up from the little free library outside the Flash Fiction International very short stories from around the world, which has been really fun so far. Anne Lamott's book is about writing, so you're getting yourself ready to write? Oh, I kind of write anyway, and I just like to, I just like her, she's very fresh, and it's, it's fun to read her about writing, because she's just like, hey, here I am, here's my stuff, have fun, <laughs> and it's really nice, so. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I just finished The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman, and now I picked up Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere to read. How'd you like Neil Gaiman in the end? We talked about it, whether it might be too scary or not. How'd you like him in the end? It was good. It was a nostalgic kind of book at the end of it. Um, at first it was scary, but then it got really interesting, kind of talked about like how childhood blends into adulthood, and... You know, he was reflecting a lot about the memories he had as a child and then realizing things as an adult. So it was kind of interesting because I'm sort of at that stage as well, I would say. So I enjoyed it. So, Robin Lindley, you do, uh, you do interviews of authors for, uh, for the History Network. For the History News Network. What have you been... I'm going to ask you a little about World War I in, in a minute but and World War II, but... Uh, what have you been, who have you been talking to? Well, on World War I, I could go on about this, so stop me. But my favorite book about World War I is Paul Fussell's uh, The Great War in Modern Memory, which deals with the uh, cultural uh, resonance of World War I through the 20th century in the arts and literature. A couple books I've read recently and talked with uh, Emily Mayhew, who's a historian at the uh, Imperial College in London, and she's done a book called Wounded about the treatment of the wounded on the Western Front, and it's fascinating because she deals with uh, everyone from uh, doctors and chaplains to stretcher bearers, and one thing I found fascinating was a story about, uh, the stories about the nurses, but uh, Marie Curie was, uh, Madame Curie was on the front too, and she was, such a great mechanic, she wasn't only setting up x-ray uh, facilities, she was also repairing trucks and other machines on the front, so it's really a, an interesting human, uh, uh, gives you a human dimension of World War One. and another one is a new book on Verdun by Paul Jankowski, another historian, and he's looked at a lot of new documents on the Battle of Verdun where mainly French and German forces were engaged, and the battle itself lasted for about a year, and 300,000, about 300,000 soldiers on each side were killed, and it was a stalemate. Generals just kept feeding reinforcements into that, uh, uh, what one observer called the slaughterhouse of the world. You do think about this. That's good. I want to come back to that topic, but what are you reading, Katie Sewell? Well, I'm also in a dry period, like Nancy, um, and so I... Just for desperation, uh, the other day I 
was reading an Agatha Christie novel that had been sitting on my shelf forever called Sad Cypress, and it was one I knew I could get through in maybe a day or two, and so that was sort of my placeholder while I was looking around, but now, I'm, now it's over and <laughs> I'm back in the wasteland again. Yeah, there are a lot of books out there, you guys. Um, let, me, let me ask, because I, I, was it a year ago or was it for Memorial Day? Must have been a year ago. We talked about a collection of poetry from uh, World War One. Yes. Remember that book? Uh-huh. That would be an interesting book to think about for uh, this for Veterans Day. Yeah, there's a wonderful collection of poetry called it's called The War the Poets Knew, and it's World War One poetry told through the point of view of uh, and the poems through um, through the poets. Wilfred Owen, Siegfried Sassoon, all of all of those, and it's just wonderful. But but um, there's a there's a brand new book that I was going to wait to bring next week because I wanted to finish it to the very end about the fly the World War One flyers pilots, uh, especially the ones who came from America just as the war as as we entered the war in 1917. And, you know, they all came from East Coast, the majority of them came from East Coast schools. Um, and they're, and it's written by a man who was a fighter pilot and an and English professor in World War II. So his book, his name is James, uh, James Hines, I think. I'll bring the book next week. I was reading about the Tuskegee Airmen. And there have been some great books on, on them. And maybe you remember some, or maybe some of you remember the Tuskegee Airmen. But since you're talking about being in a funk for fiction, what, what literature uh, have you been thinking about for veterans and Veterans Day? Anything? You know, I've just been in a, in a reading funk period, fiction or nonfiction. The book that I'm, that I'm managing to read is this book... Um, about the World War I flyers, which I'll talk more about next week when I've absolutely finished it. But I have not been, um, uh, uh, oh, oh, fiction, the uh, deep, what is it, the road to the deep north, to the far north that just won the Booker Prize by Richard Flanagan, who is the wonderful, wonderful Australian writer is about a man looking back at his father's experiences building the Japanese Burma Railroad, the, the real rail, Railroad of Death. And Flanagan is a fabulous, a fabulous writer. Well, I was thinking about Carl Marlanti's book, which was an award winner from a couple of years ago, yes. um, the name of which has escaped me. It'll come Matterhorn. back. Matterhorn. Matterhorn, that's right. And also, Robert Stone wrote Dog Soldiers Dog about the Stone. Vietnam War, and that was a great fiction about yes. soldiers at war. Right, right. And I've been really, um, one thing that I have been sort of interested in for a long time is the Cold War, th that period of the Cold War. And there's a new book out um, which is about all of the Cold War, many of the Cold War, War warriors who lived in Georgetown. It's called the Georgetown Set by, by uh, somebody, Herkin, H-E-R-K-E-N, 
and it's amazing who lived there. And most of them, their experiences were formed during World War II. So um, Frank Wisner, who went on to head the CIA, the Grams, Catherine, and and um, her husband, whose name I can't remember. Phil Graham, thank you. Um, both the Alsops, Joe Alsop and Stuart Alsop, and and um, I mean, so this is a book that fits into that Cold War kind of uh, mentality, which grew out of World War II. Does that count? That counts. I was. Does anybody else have any war fiction that they would recommend to people? Um, well, we in our book club read Trapeze, I think it was, or. Um, it was about the female spies in the war, and I'm trying to remember who that author was, but it was, I couldn't tell how accurate it was in terms of historical fiction, but there was supposedly this um, group of women who had been recruited and were taught all the code breaking. Are you familiar with that book? Is it, is it, is it by... Ben McIntyre, because he's sort of made a wonderful career of writing about spies and spying. Oh, I, let me just say a wonderful, um, a wonderful book that's marketed toward teens, but is really for adults as well. About um, World War II, it's called Code Name Verity. Oh my gosh, it is wonderful, and it would be wonderful for an adult book group too. It's about two girls who, two teen, uh, young adults who are um, dropped into France as British agents. And it opens in a German prisoner, uh, with one of them has been captured by the Germans. It is a fabulous book. Well, I, I expect to see more fiction coming out of the Iraq and Afghanistan theater because there's a lot of lot of folks here. Well, Phil Clay, Phil Clay redeployment, Soldier Girls by Helen Thorpe is another one. I had mentioned Yellow Birds, but I can't remember the author's name. Kevin Powers, The Yellow Birds, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. That's another fabulous, fabulous novel um, set over the course of one day. Linnea, did you have? There's um, a quite old book called Gone to Soldiers about women airmen, which I didn't realize until I read that book years ago that women were airmen in the, in, I think we're talking Second World War, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Wow. When you mentioned yellow birds, it made me think of um, Simon's Pretty Birds about the. Um, Sarajevo. Sarajevo. Uh-huh. Scott yeah, Simons. 10 or 15 years ago yeah. or more. <laughs> yeah, right. About the Bosnian War. Right. 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 Yeah, well, there was Tom Jelton's book on that, was that, about the siege of Sarajevo. That was a brilliant book I about war. I read that. I, I, oh, I think, I didn't know Tom Jelton wrote a book about, <clears throat> because when I was in Sarajevo, two Januarys ago, I mean, the war is still so present in Bosnia. It was just an, an amazing, an amazing experience. By the way, I just wanted to say that Lynn Bowman, Carol Oldenburg, and Linnea Hurst joined us as well at this table. Weren't one of you guys going to talk about a book? About Codename Verity, I find it strange and kind of difficult to get into. Did you feel that? Um, I think, I think, uh, 
I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure if teens would find it difficult to get into. I, I wonder about the different way we read it. My experience of that book was that I just read the whole thing, and then I turned, and then I immediately got to the end and went back to the beginning to figure out how she did everything and what was going on. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. Codename Verity. So speaking of, uh, oh, Robin, you, you have a comment? Well, on war books, again, I have to mention for younger readers, if they haven't had a chance, a couple of the classics that uh, I found really moving when I first read them. That's Catch-22 and uh, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. And I know probably a lot of people in the audience have read those, but if, if you haven't, I think they're very moving. And if you want a couple of nonfiction books on the Iraq War, I can mention those. Um, there's a couple of photographic books, coffee table books, if you will, that probably most people wouldn't have out on their coffee table. But one is by Peter Van Ackmel called Disco Night, September 11th. He's a, a prize-winning photojournalist who's put together this impressionistic uh, non-sequential history of the post-9-11 wars and the I think the photographs are haunting and often surreal about the war, both on the home front and uh, on the battlefront. And he was in Iraq and Af Afghanistan with our troops and also very moving uh, uh, pictures and stories of veterans once they came home, many of whom were badly wounded. And a second book along those lines is by Michael Camber, a New York Times photojournalist who's written uh, Photojournalists on War, which is about the Iraq War and its uh, oral histories of 39 photojournalists from the United States and Iraq who covered the Iraq War. And, and it's, uh, it's so moving. It's not only text of the interviews, but many uh, photographs of just to portray how the war has affected soldiers and civilians in Iraq. Steve, that sounds like a book that you would like. Yeah, I, that sounds great. I was thinking of, oh, I'm sorry, but I was just thinking of, of Dexter Filkins. Anything that Dexter Filkins writes, I will read. And um, the, the, the uh, man Chandrasekhar, um, I don't remember his first name, but he wrote Inside the Green Zone, I think, or maybe... Well, he's got a book out with Howard Schultz yes, right now. Yes, he does. He, he co-wrote that with Howard Schultz. Rajiv, I think, Chandra Seekin. So. Uh, this morning on NPR, there was an interview with an author named Campbell, a retired general, um, and he was talking about... Uh, it, it wasn't fiction. He was talking about why the U.S. is losing the wars in the Middle East. Basically, it's because we moved from making war to uh, peace building, and the army, the military, isn't prepared to do that. But that was just this morning. <laughs> so, speaking of history and these issues, you got to interview historian Richard Norton Smith about Rockefeller, a book you've been thinking about. I, I did. I, I was so thrilled that I could interview Richard Norton Smith, who's a noted biographer. He's on, uh, on um, I always forget the station with Brian Lamb. C-SPAN. C-SPAN <laughs> with Brian Lamb. He's there sort of in one of their maybe in-house historians. And this is a, a very, very, very detailed, I, 
book about about Nelson Rockefeller. And I was interested in, in Nelson Rockefeller because I was in San Francisco, leaving San Francisco on a bus to Detroit in 1964 when he was booed off the stage at the Republican convention by the, um, uh, by the Goldwater uh, group of people who were there. But Rockefeller, I mean, my, it's a very thick book and it, and I, there's so much in it, but Rockefeller is one of the most complex people. Richard Norton Smith said this. You get that sense just from reading it. So complex. I mean, what he did for New York, they had the first arts council. He set up the first state arts council in New York and insisted, I mean, he, he and Johnson were very similar, Lyndon Johnson, in their ability to twist arms and to get what they want. Um, and and I, I'm gonna just give a little preview of Richard Norton Smith's next book. His next book is a biography of um, Gerald Ford. And, and, and Richard Norton Smith said that he likes to do biographies of people who are either underappreciated or not, not you know, really well known. And I had heard, I said this to him during the interview, I had heard that when, when Gerald Ford had an opportunity to name a Supreme Court justice, I mean, think of what it's like now. When Gerald Ford had an opportunity to name a Supreme Court justice, he said to his aides, um, I want the best legal mind that we have. That's all he said. He didn't care what what party, what he just wanted the best legal mind. And they, and it was Justice Stevens, John Paul Stevens. But then when I said that to Richard Norton Smith, Richard Norton Smith said, I can top that. And he said that one of the things that that Gerald Ford um, said when he was one of the other things he said when he was talking about Supreme Court justices, he said, "And what about Barbara Jordan?" Now, can you imagine somebody back then in that time talking not just about a woman but an African American woman? I mean, that's not the Gerald Ford that we all know. Um, so this that biography will be very interesting. So that's going to be on the Seattle Channel. Yes, that'll be on the Seattle Channel early in December. And Richard Norton Smith has written a slew of books about presidents and presidential uh, uh, candidates. Uh, presidents and other, um, uh, Robert McCormick, the Chicago Tribune, I believe, person, and uh, Washington, President Washington. Um, but the New Yorker said about this Rockefeller biography, that it's the definitive biography, and it's sure hard to see how how anybody could do anything. But it, one of the other points about the book is that, you know, Rockefeller died under somewhat um, mysterious circumstances. There was a lot of things going on that night, and he and and Richard Norton Smith draws a line from. Rockefeller's, the way the press treated Rockefeller's death to Gary Hart and into the present. That it was a time when the press relationship to noted figures changed. And, um, and what was amazing, well, I could go on and on. I was so impressed. Wait, is he saying that the press relationship changed with Rockefeller or it yeah. changed with Gary no, Hart? it changed with Rockefeller. That Gary Hart's you know, when we read the book, the Matt Bai book, 
that's about Gary Hart um, and and the press. But he said that it started then. I mean, remember that Rockefeller was, um, this was after Kennedy. I mean, there's so much about Kennedy that the press kept to themselves that that you know they knew and didn't so he's saying by the time rockefeller came about it was too titillating the press was going to do reveal or or share salacious rumors yes and there were many salacious rumors right robin because you oh did you read some of it too no no he has other experiences why what was your experience with, with rockefeller (laughs) I was uh, a staff attorney on the House Select Committee on Assassinations and worked with um, uh, Dr. Michael Bodden, who is a forensic pathologist, uh, and worked on the cases I was involved with. But he uh, apparently lost his job as the chief medical examiner in New York, or he was demoted for a while because uh, he had spilled the beans on uh, Governor... I guess it was uh, Vice President Rockefeller, and uh, he was having an affair at the time of his fatal heart attack, and uh, apparently Dr. Bodden made that known through a press conference, and so um, that's, uh, 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 that was my brush with a little bit of history. <laughs> so it was his fault. It was Bodden's fault. Uh, speaking of your funk and searching for fiction, well, anything, is there good political anything. fiction? Searching, well, anything. I'm searching for anything. The best political fiction writer, I think, is a man named Ward Just. And he writes terrific fiction set in, well, around the world, but um, the one that I'm thinking of is a book called The Dangerous Friend, which is about America and Vietnam. And uh, it's, that's a pretty amazing book. But he's an inside the Beltway writer. And in fact, I think lived in that, in that area in Georgetown, <laughs> knew all those people um, that Greg Herkin writes about in the Georgetown set. So uh, since you guys sat down, so I'll just ask Lynn Bowman, before you put that, before you put that food in your mouth, what are you reading right now? It's not about war, it's about death. Uh, <laughs> Deepak Chopra, Life After Death. Why? What's interesting about that to you? I'm very interested in, um, I'm particularly interested in the nature of consciousness and the changing views on what consciousness might be, that it isn't necessarily an epiphenomenon of uh, carbon chemistry, but perhaps one of the essential elements of the universe. Well, he'd be right to talk to about that. He's the right guy to talk to about that. That's what he thinks about all the time. I can't hear you. Never mind. <laughs> uh, but Carol, what, what's that? About war, I've been thinking about um, T.E. Lawrence's autobiography, Seven Pillars of Wisdom. He was young, naive, uh, apparently a brilliant uh, linguist, an anthropologist who was called in to organize the scattered Arab tribes for the purposes of defeating the Turks. Uh, and, so, uh, and very demoralized by how they had been used, how they were they had come to be used. 
So, so the T.E. Lawrence uh, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, the T.E. Lawrence memoir, autobiography, um, you know, sort of the classic. But there's a new book that just came out last year called Lawrence in Arabia. Uh, which talks about not only about Lawrence, but a lot more about the, the wider context and the people Lawrence worked with. And then there's also the Gertrude Bell biography, which everybody has to read. It's by uh, Georgina Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, -L, and it's called um, Gertrude Bell, Queen of the Desert, Shaper of Nations. And if 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 you have got to read it's so she is the most amazing woman um, another one that I was also mentioning was um, by uh, Margaret McMillan Paris 1919 which is uh, it's called uh, the subtitle six months to change the world about the peace conference at the end of the uh, First World War and how uh, so many decisions self-serving decisions and uh, that happened at that time set up so many things that are happening since uh, that time including the shape of the Mid Middle East the borders why the why the Kurds are where the Kurds are uh, decisions that led to the island hopping in World War two World War two defending all those islands against Japan led to the setup of Yugoslavia and all the Balkan wars and the history of all the different Eastern European countries and why they, how Poland wound up moving several miles to the east and then back to the west again. Yeah, why we have a war that we're fighting today. So uh, I just want to go around. Um, Carol Oldenburg, what are you reading? Well, uh, two things. I'm reading Dante's Inferno uh, in a class, and we're reading it aloud together and talking about it. Um, but I'm also rereading. Um, uh, Durrell's Justine, the first of the Alexandria Quartet, and I was telling my friend that I'm reading it with a dictionary in my one hand, because he, he if you like words, he's just marvelous. Um, he makes up words, and they're always totally appropriate. <laughs> so. And Linnea Hurst? And Linnea Hurst, what are you reading? Um, I've got about six books going, but the one that I wanted to mention is a rather old one called The Intimate History of Humanity. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but it's um, this fellow, Theodore Zeldin, has interviewed a bunch of French women, and he's taken a, one strong characteristic of a woman and talked about how she's dealt with that personality characteristic. And then he goes into the history of that characteristic, like the history of love. Another one's the history of respect, history of power. And at the end of each chapter about a particular personality, there's a lot of bibliography, very fine print, so it doesn't take too many pages. But it's, it's very interesting. So, Nancy, I just... I, I ask because I figure Nancy's in a history, in a fiction funk, all this conversation and talk percolates in your brain and gets you excited. So what new books are you looking at that might interest you? Because you get a lot of new books. I, I do. Um, well, I'm interested in the new Peter Carey novel, the Australian um, award winner, um, Booker Prize winner who wrote Oscar and Lucinda 
and um, uh, several other other. Oh, the the uh, the history of Ned Kelly, the outlaw in Australia. So he has a new book out, and I'm I, I'm starting that. I just really want something that just like immediately. I don't I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But it's really a funk of everything. I mean, nonfic when you I think when you're in a funk, what helps is nonfiction because it's it's not that it's so calm, but it doesn't have the emotional hurly burly of fiction somehow. I, I don't know, that's the way I've been thinking about it. Maybe you need some more comic books, more graphic novels. That'll get you going. <laughs> I know. I have yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe next week I'll be I'll be more back to speed. <laughs> I think you've been saying that for a while. Yeah. You guys have any last words or any questions about books you're reading or suggestions you want? The the reason I've stalled in all the books that, that I have bookmarks in is because I was listening to Nancy's podcast and I've started reading Peter Temple. And I'm on my fourth one, I think, at this point, and I'm staying up late. And I'm <laughs> yeah. So, success. You got somebody to read Peter Temple. I'm so excited. That's wonderful. So we'll have to talk off camera, off uh, microphone, about which ones you've read and what's coming. Oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Um, well, a really satisfying wintertime read to me is always a new Louise Penny book. And those just those are just really good because they're involving, they're gripping, but they're not um, going to take you to too dark a place. And something about the, the wintertime in Canada, kind of, a, they're always set in Montreal and in that little town of Three Pines. Do you know if Louise Penny is coming out with anything soon? Did you read the most recent one where, where the painter, remember the painter and his wife? The, so, did you read the one where they've separated? Yes, 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 yes. That's the most recent one. Have you read the Alan Bradley mysteries about Flavia Deleuze? Oh, yes, yes. The, uh, the, the uh, herring, the red, there was the red herring one, and the, yes, yes, those are delightful, yeah. He has a new one coming out in January. But have you read also the mysteries by um, Tana French? T okay, so write this down. It should be it should be at the library because it's older, but it's called In the Woods by Tana French. There's lots of books called In the Woods, but Tana French is, is the one you want. And those have that same flavor. They're interesting and gripping, but not too dark and depressing for these wintertime in Seattle. <laughs> um, I understand that totally. But um, the Tana French... What people say about the Tana French, it's wonderfully written. They love the characters. It's really a character-driven novel. It is less, it is less, um, it's a little bit unsettled at the end. You don't really, you don't, it's, it's not spelled out what happens. So see how you feel about that. Okay. All right. Jennifer Collins-Fredericks, Keith Cook, Joanna Gerber, Sarah Hunter, Jessica Anderson, Robin Lindley, Sarah, uh, Lynn Bowman, Carol Oldenburg, Linnea Hurst, all sitting around talking about their stack of books. 
Sarah Swanson and Chris Moser are the ones who invite us kindly into the Bryan Corner Cafe with all these folks on Veterans Day as well. So thank you all. Find us at the Bryant Corner Cafe at the corner of 65th and 32nd in Northeast Seattle. Find us on Facebook, That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher. Find us on Twitter, at That Stack. And by the way, as you're wandering around your neighborhoods, you see those free little libraries? Why don't you take a picture of it? Let's see what's on their shelf. And tweet it to at That Stack. You can also post that on Facebook as well. You can find this podcast by... Searching on iTunes for That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Share. You can also come to our homepage. We have all our episodes there as well. Just search for The House of Podcasts, That Stack of Books. You'll find it. And we hope to find you here next week talking about your stack of books. Take care. <laughs>